If you're watching this channel, then you already know that I put a massive premium onto education. I constantly pound the table on one, pouring into our own education, and two, that's why I like to teach information or education. So not only do I help share it, but I learn it even better. Education sits at the beginning of everything that we have. We need a curious mind to go seek the education, and it's the key to having success in every area of our life. Now, unfortunately, our school systems have taken the creativity out of us. They've taken the desire, the fun of building our own education out, but there's a way that we can get it back. There's people that are actively working on this. Now, uh, you've heard the saying that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And so rather we'd learn, we'd rather start teaching people how to learn properly at a young age. And that's what we're talking about today with today's guest. He saw the problem and he has found a solution. He came up with his own solution to find the things that need to be taught, um, adapt them to a younger audience, and we dig in how that's being done, how the idea came out, how he's reshaping the future right now today, how you can use some of these tools to help reshape your future, the future. So much good stuff to jump into, so let's go, go ahead and get into it. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Market Disruptor Show, and today I'm joined by Phil Denniston. He is the founder, the publisher of Bad Daddy publishing something that i'm very excited about it's education but for a very very specific demographic we're gonna talk about that today uh phil thanks so much for joining us you bet mark it's a pleasure to be here i found you about eight twelve months ago and you've become quickly one of my favorite content creators high quality high quantity i love it oh awesome phil appreciate that yeah you know um i uh i guess i love education i've been doing a lot of it i think that um, education is just the most important thing in the world and, and not just education, but the right, the right education, I should say. Um, so it's something I've been super passionate about for the last, uh, I, I, I wasn't passionate about it in school, but after school, I, uh, I got a passion for it. And so I, I love to teach it as well and just try to help people see different things. I know you and I have had uh, several conversations offline, um, but for everyone who doesn't know, I want you to kind of give us a little bit of a background on what it is that you're doing, what you're working on. Yeah, absolutely. So we publish what we call Better Bedtime Stories to educate kids and really their parents, too, about finance and economics. And that's so much the mainstream mainstream stuff that you can get elsewhere. But really, what's behind it all, which is the, uh, the debt-based paper money system and how it works. And that's largely opaque in this country because it really needs to be because of all the shenanigans that go on behind the scenes. Uh, I myself graduated from college in 2000 with an economics degree, and they never once mentioned Austrian economics. It was all Keynesianism and monetarism. And, and the tech bubble was bursting at that time. And I thought, OK, maybe once in a lifetime, the powers that be might screw up in this way. And so for eight more years, I kept reading mainstream stuff. And then in 2008, the housing bubble burst. And I'm like, I've got to really peel back the onion and understand what's what's really happening here and why it's happening. And that sort of led me down, I think, a similar path as you, understanding that uh, the fiat money was really the issue and, and kind of, you know, even going deeper from there. That's interesting. So um, you major in economics. Um, of course, all the universities today teach some version of Keynesian economics. Um, I don't tell you that. Um, and so you were trained in that, that was kind of your worldview or the, the way that you viewed economics. And so when the 2008 crash happened, you thought that uh, maybe it was just a minor 
a problem that caused it. They got it wrong just this one time and that it probably wouldn't happen again. Is that right? That was kind of your view at that time? So, so that was the 2000 tech bubble right. and it clearly was significant and not minor, but I, I thought of it maybe, okay, this is one of these once in a lifetime or once in a generation things where things blow up in this way and you start learning about bubbles. And they typically did used to be more like once in a generation because once a populace was, uh, you know, understood the implications of a bubble, they were less likely to walk right into one. But the fact that we did another even bigger eight years later with the great financial crisis and the housing bubble, that's what led me to stop following the mainstream financial information, which I was very attuned in having graduated with an econ degree and read a lot about investing in finance. And there's a lot of good mainstream financial information, but what they don't teach you really is not only the Austrian school, but the, the, the issues with fiat money. And we really call it the, the root of all the world's biggest, most intractable problems. And that kind of led me to think that these are the kinds of things that I should have learned growing up, whether from school or from my parents. And some of my, my earliest memories, of course, are reading books with, with my parents, Dr. Seuss and, um, you know, the cat in the hat and whatnot. And I thought every night I, I read to my kids, I've got four kids now, ages three to 12. And for a while, I mean, it was fun the day the crowns quit, uh, you know, Dr. Seuss and whatnot. But I thought, what a missed opportunity. You know, we're spending an hour a night and we're having fun, but we're not learning anything. Let me see if I can teach them some of the lessons that I've learned in life the hard way uh, and make them indelible memories in their minds in the same way that I remember, you know, Dr. Seuss as a kid. And so um, the first one is where does money come from? It's really all about the difference between sound and fiat money. And then we go into debt, the, the debt based money system. Money itself, you know, it has to, to keep growing through the issuance of new debt, as you and your audience know well. And that's why our kids are sort of poked and prodded and goaded to, to, to get launched in the world at 18 years old and get pulled into a, a broken higher education system to rack up tens of thousands of dollars of debt. And so these are the things they should learn that no one's teaching them. Hey, hold up just for a second. I want to tell you about something. I just got something cool in the mail I want to show you. And it is this new sleek package I just got with a brand new credit card. This isn't just any credit card. This is a BlockFi credit card that's powered by Visa and it's backed by Bitcoin reward. So this is a Visa card. I can use it anywhere in the world that Visa is accepted. And the benefit of this BlockFi Visa card is that I get paid back in Bitcoin. Most of my other cards pay me in some sort of reward points. I get airline miles. Um, I'm not very good at using those. They end up accumulating and I don't do anything with them. But getting to earn Bitcoin back with every single purchase is, of course, something that matters to me. Now, I know for a lot of people, they say that the price of Bitcoin is too high. So I say, well, you can always earn Bitcoin. You can get paid in Bitcoin or you can just get cash back rewards on every purchase paid in Bitcoin with the BlockFi Visa credit card used everywhere uh, that Visa is accepted. And if you want to sign up for the Visa card that pays back in Bitcoin from BlockFi, there is a link in the description down below. Check it out. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I, I want to go back. Uh, you kind of ran, ran a little bit farther. I, I just want to go back a little bit um, because I, I think it's important to understand, I mean, as you're saying, right, these lessons that uh, you could have learned or you should have learned or you should have known, right, trying to pass that on. Um, and it's interesting, though, like even from the Keynesian uh, worldview, I mean, I guess you could say maybe 2000 was a fluke. 
But I guess now, I guess not knowing what you now know, um, looking backwards, I mean, isn't a isn't it just a series of escalating bubbles that we've just had, right? I mean, uh, I mean, we had the the Black Monday in 1987. We had the 70s crash, the 87 crash. <laughs> I mean, we can go back, and it's just like a series of escalating bubbles. Of course, now looking at 2008, and then even what happened in 2020 as reference, you can see that the bubbles just get bigger and bigger and bigger, right? Exactly right. I mean, the, the amplitude just keeps getting bigger, and of course. You know, you could track it to, to 1971. I mean, when, when we went on three days from today, it will be the 50th anniversary of the uh, of the broken debt based money system. And, th- and now it's global because in, in history where where countries uh, tried fiat money or paper money, it was regional. Uh, but now it's global. And I agree with you completely. They're getting bigger. And the only way to prevent more of the next one, which will be huge. I mean, we, we at this point face either, you know, a destruction of the currency through inflation or a massive deflation, cor- correcting the decades of malinvestment that have been trying to ripple through the system in 87 and 2000 and 2008. And, and the Fed comes along and fights that with more money printing and pushing interest rates down, which just causes economic distortion. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it's, it's almost like the market continues to try to correct itself. Um, it keeps trying to purge itself of this, uh, you know, this inflation that the Fed has created. And every time it 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 rejects that inflation and starts to deflate, um, they go back and try to pump the balloon back up. Yeah, that's the cleansing trying to happen. And it's it's painful when it happens because people, you know, go bankrupt and lose their homes and lose their jobs. But that isn't the problem. That's the consequence of the money printing, which is the problem. And Listen, if you gave me the ability to print money, I probably would. It'd be very difficult for anybody yeah. not to. Even if you think that you're saving the world and saving the whales and, you know, et cetera, the, the ability to print money is not something that, that humans, you know, can, can with, can, cannot do uh, in good conscience. So, of course, it's happening and we shouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Now, um, on the education piece, uh, a, a quote that I like to throw around often was Henry Ford from about 100 years ago. And he said, if the American people knew how the banking system worked, there'd be a revolution before the morning. Like they wouldn't even put up with it for a minute. Like before even sunrise came up, they'd be already re- revolting. And of course, that was over 100 years ago. So imagine how much worse the banking system is today than it was back then. Um, I would say that. Um, I guess, depending on how cynical your worldview is, um, it's at least been intentionally withheld from any education and potentially even uh, misled through education of, of exactly how the banking system worked, what money is, how money worked, um, how the banking system worked, et cetera. Do you hold that same view? I absolutely do. I mean, no, they, they, they can't teach you how it works, uh, because that would reveal the con and, and, and there's no way that the populace would, would, would stand for it. In fact, I mean, the constitution itself basically precludes it. It says that Congress shall make nothing money except gold and silver. But that of course is ignored at this point. I mean, the, the creature from Jekyll Island is a great place to start uh, about how the fed was created in 1913 when the bankers got together and the whole thing has been cloaked in secrecy since. And of course, it benefits the bankers and those closest to them and the government that gets to spend. And so these are the folks pulling the strings and, and in charge. So it's absolutely intentionally omitted. And we are also misled in a, uh, I, I wouldn't say it's 
overt necessarily. It's sort of groupthink. It's like, you know, we're led to believe that the money system is the only way that it could be and just the way that it should be. And there wouldn't necessarily be any other way to structure things. And that's uh, definitely not the case. Hmm. So it's not, uh, not even, so then I guess those are the two options I gave one, it's being intentionally left out. The other was even potentially being misled. And so I guess you're opting for more of the misled where they're teaching you that we have to have inflation. (laughs) The money supply has to grow. How can the economy grow if the money supply doesn't grow? Right. I guess. And so they're really ingraining that in your head. And and I see that all the time from people like, Oh no, well, if, if the money supply doesn't, doesn't grow, then how can the economy grow? I guess are those some of those things that you're you're seeing? Yes, I, but I would say that the the money system that we have today really it it is necessary to have inflation because it, because every dollar is issued as debt. There is no dollar that exists today that wasn't first issued as a loan, and that loan requires repayment of principal plus interest. So the the system the way it is designed today actually does need inflation. It doesn't need consumer price inflation necessarily but it needs the issuance of new money, which causes consumer price inflation. So they say they need a 2% inflation target, essentially as an excuse to continue issuing more money to get people to go deeper and deeper into debt and to encourage the, you know, for, for the, the government to keep borrowing. Because if, if they don't do that, you get massive debt deflation because there aren't enough dollars in the system to repay the loans that are simply issued in the creation of money. So. It, the system doesn't have to be designed like it is today. It benefits them that it, them that it is. And because it's designed this way, we actually do need inflation, not necessarily in, in, in prices going up, but we need more money, which causes those prices to go up. So let me just clarify this. So um, what you're saying is, given the current existing debt-based system that we have today, in order for it to continue to pretend to work, we have to have inflation. But we don't need that system. We should have a different system that wouldn't depend on inflation. Would that be right? Absolutely. Yep. All right. So what kind of other system would it be? So traditionally for, you know, 5,000 years, what worked best in the free market was gold and silver. Uh, And that's that was simply a commodity money that was in using precious metals that was limited in supply. And there's a fairness to that because in order to obtain gold and or silver, you either need to dig it out of the ground and do that work, or you need to create value in the marketplace by trading goods and services for it. And that's a system that's fair. You, you wouldn't have a government that could suddenly create gold and silver out of nothing. It has to be uh, obtained through taxation in the case of government, or again, dug from the ground or earned through, through work or trade. So for 5,000 years, that's always worked best in human history. And there's been countless experiments where they, where they tried paper instead, going back to China or John Law in France. And that always ends in, in debacle and in a hyperinflation. Um, so gold and silver traditionally is the, is the right way to do it. And I'm, I'm absolutely enamored with the, the Bitcoin story. I think that could be uh, the, the, the beautiful awakening, the solution to the, the very crux of the problem at the apex of the problem. And it's untested, it's new. But conceptually, I, I am definitely beginning to, to love the Bitcoin story and not as a substitute or replacement for gold and silver. I think free market alternatives to money are a good thing. Sure. When, uh, when people have more choices, the people win, right? So, um, of course, it's always about competition. Um, you know, there's a, 
in regards to that, just real quickly, you kind of said, you know, gold and silver is worth 5,000 years. There's been periods, uh, John Law, like where they try to get back into paper. You said it always is a debacle. Um, and, and I think that therein lies the crux of the argument. It's man that's the problem. Because as you said earlier, that um, if you had a chance to print money, you would, right? And so like what man, human nature wouldn't want to get something for free, free lunch, so to speak. And so from the beginning of time, they've had alchemy trying to turn, you know, uh, nothing into gold or they've debased currencies to create more. I um, mean, and it's the man piece. And so that's where the, the beauty of Bitcoin comes into play where it removes man and it puts code and it puts immutable code in, into place. And so uh, to your point, uh, you know, 11, 12 years isn't enough to prove it out, but every year uh, makes it, makes it stronger. Um, so, um, so you see this problem, uh, you had to have your own eyes wait, you know, uh, opened up, I should say, right. You were, you were taught Keynesian. All of a sudden you kind of learned a different way. You believe that to be a better way. You recognize that, uh, education is powerful. And I guess the best place to start educating is at kids. Uh, as you said, you were kind of reading to your kids. Um, I have two kids and we read to them every single night and I love that. Unfortunately, they're too old now. They don't want me to read to them anymore. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, it is, an, it is an amazing opportunity. How do you think through, um, I guess, just the topics that you think kids should be learning at that young of an age? Yeah, and this is, look, certainly uh, I've been called crazy uh, by, uh, by a lot of people that, that I would introduce these topics to kids as young as three because I've started with my three-year-olds. But the, the, the important thing, I think, with that is the repetition, because it's a nightly ritual. You're not necessarily reading the same book every night, but you go back to it every week or two. And so they really begin to understand the concepts through time. And you, uh, it, it's an opportunity for discussion around those things. Um, but, yeah, I mean, first, just defining what money is and, and what it isn't and, 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 and the, really the difference between sound and fiat. And that's very actually accessible to a child because, and, and I actually have my kids saving in silver now too. We've got a, a system where when they earn money around the house, you know, they get paid in silver and they've been, we've been doing that for the last couple of years, um, actually four or five years now. So they've seen the price of silver fluctuate in that time They're you know, they're up on that and they can trade it out for cash if there's something they want to buy. But we take the lessons from the books and we try to apply them in real life. And debt, yeah, it's, it's early to, you know, a three-year-old doesn't get debt. But again, you read it in three, four, five, six, seven, and they start to internalize those concepts. So it's not, uh, and by the way, when my kids, I truly could be reading them just about anything because what they really enjoy is the time that they spend with me every night and the conversations we have. So it's uh, untested because we're fairly new to the marketplace, but, uh, but we believe in the concept. Yeah, no, I agree. Like I said, I mean, we read to our kids every single night and uh, I'm sad we, we don't get to do that anymore, but it is to your point, it's that time that's spent together that's uh, super powerful. But, um, you know, understanding the way that people learn and uh, kids learn specifically right through, through repetition. Um, I, had a, I had a conversation with a friend who's an educator, a, a teacher, and uh, we were talking about the merits of college. And um, she threw out the, the media headline to me that, everybody needs an education. And I said, okay, sure. Everyone needs to be educated. You tell me what do they need to be educated in? And like, she just drew a blank. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I could tell you what I think people should be educated in. Like, how about like communication? How about time management? <laughs> how about, you know, and I, and I, and I threw out a list of things. So I'm curious, 
do you have like a list of things that you think that like kids should be learning that sets them up for life? And then you start working off of that or like uh, kind of what's your view on that or your process? I just wanted to take a second to explain to you one more time just how cool having this new BlockFi Visa credit card is. I've started to move a lot of my bills over to get paid from this. Of course, all my business supplies, I'm starting to pay for this, my advertising budgets, and I'm starting to run as much as I can through it because I'm getting paid a percentage back of every single transaction in Bitcoin. We want to save in Bitcoin because Bitcoin is an asset that goes up in value because of the deflationary nature of it. And we want to spend our fiat. So I'm spending my fiat through my uh, BlockFi Visa card and I'm getting back Bitcoin that I can save and I can hold. I expect it to go up in value a lot. I expect to hold my Bitcoin. I'm going to pass it to my kids and my grandkids and hopefully my great grandkids will have my Bitcoin one day. So I'm going to save it. I'm going to spend my fiat uh, through this card and I'm going to earn back Bitcoin that I'm going to save. If you want to get one, there's a link down below. Yeah, so for now, we're focused on, on finance and finance-related issues because that is my passion and it's what I've been doing for so long. I should probably, uh, the other things they don't teach you in school that are so important, of course, are relationship skills, but that's probably not my specialty. Um, but but we dovetail from finance. So again, first we kind of go to talk about what is money sound of fiat, then, then debt. Then we talk about the big bad business cycle, which is essentially the Fed's you know, increasing amplitude of ever larger bubble and bust, which will not only destroy you financially if you don't understand it, but if you do understand it, it can help, help, help you create massive amounts of generational wealth. And the latest book is The Madness of Crowds, where we really talk about you know, that one quirk inside our evolutionary brain that makes it very difficult for us to question the consensus of the herd. Because you know, it, it, when we lived in tribes, if we were excommunicated from the tribe, we would be picked off by a predator. Yeah. We, would, we wouldn't make it through the winter. So we can't. And social media makes this very hard because you see a feed of information that looks like what they want you to think or what your group of friends are all thinking. And to, to, be, to, to question that uh, consensus is very difficult. But that, again, can lead to peril. So we talk about witch trials and financial bubbles and global pandemics, you know, most of which we're in the middle of right now and how we need to think independently and do our own research. And any time that you, you know, that you're, you're afraid that you have fear or greed as a result of what the herd is doing, that's a, that's a time to take a step back and make sure you understand the real motivations and what, what's happening around you. Yeah, that's great. I mean, really getting to the base of this and that's really where Austrian economics uh, really differs from traditional economics is understanding that it all comes from human action. Um, and so then you have to understand what that human action is like something like you've talked about. Um, so that, so that's pretty good. I'm curious, like what kind of, uh, books have, uh, been instrumental in helping this? Like, for example, um, there's another set of, of kids books that are written uh, by the Tuttle twins and like, they have one called the road to serfdom, which is one of the most important books I think everybody should read, which is Hayek wrote the road to serfdom. Um, and they tried to kind of make a version of it for kids. Uh, have you looked at some books and kind of done something like that? Or are they all kind of like your own um, lessons that you've kind of come up with? So first of all, yeah, I absolutely love the Tuttle Twins. Um, yeah. And after I started doing this project, I, I searched, is there anybody else doing anything like this? And that's when I found the Tuttle Twins. So we recommend those as well. Um, we're focused 
you know, more more focused on 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 the money side, not just uh, you know, not the not the wider uh, libertarian economic side. But ours are completely original. Uh, but I love what uh, Con- I think his name is Connor Boyack is doing, and basically taking the Austrian, uh, the great Austrian economist, and translating it into uh, individual stories about those tunnel twins. But ours are completely original. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, I was just more curious about, like I said, I'm trying to understand, like, what are you trying to teach? Like, where do you get the inspiration from, um, et cetera? So I guess it's just kind of uh, some lessons that you think are powerful in a way that you can translate them to the kids. Yeah, really centered around the money system and 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 and, and fiat versus sound. In fact, our fifth book that we're working on now is the Bitcoin book, and it's really going to try to tell that that Bitcoin story to uh, to a much younger audience. Now, what about the traditional education system that we have right now? We've already talked about, obviously, like withholding some of this stuff. Um, I'm guessing your books are, are your, your books are more geared for like elementary age children. Have you tried to talk to any school systems about getting them in there, like anything like that? No, I haven't. Uh, I haven't spent any time uh, uh, pounding the pavement with schools, but homeschoolers tend to flock to us. So a lot of our subscribers are homeschoolers because they recognize really that you have to take charge of your own children's ed- education. And then public libraries in rural towns have found us too, and they tend to like us. Um, I've, I've got a day job, and so I, I mostly I turn out the books as a labor of love and, and uh, need to focus a little more on the marketing approach. But people do find us through word of mouth, and they tend to be that type, the, uh, the libertarians, the homeschoolers, um, you know, people that uh, that don't necessarily associate very heavily with either mainstream political party. Uh, instead, they do their own research. Do you homeschool your kids? Uh, we did. My wife did. Uh, we do not right now. They're in a, a, a private Montessori. But uh, now that we have four, because we had two older ones and then we had twins. And when the twins came, it was just mm. impossible to try to do anything, really. So they're, they're, my oldest are in school and the twins are, are will be starting preschool in the fall. Okay. Would it be something that you would consider again at some point? So I, so I find I'm, I'm too busy. I believe in it. Um, but, 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 but it was my wife that was doing it and I would support her uh, to do it. But I, I personally, unfortunately at this time in my life, it's just too busy to, to give it the attention that it needs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's how I am as well. We're, we're homeschooling our kids right now. They're, um, they're, you know, they're, they're taking a online curriculum that they're going through. Um, yeah, I wish I could be uh, more involved as part of their teacher, but I, but I can't do that either, but, um, it is good for everybody to be more involved, at least be aware of what they're doing. I mean, school choice is a big thing. Like I like we, like we kind of already established earlier, right. The more choices somebody's given, the better they are, right. Like, uh, when, uh, when, uh, businesses compete, right? We get better products, better service, better prices, et cetera. So um, I like that. Uh, there, there seems to be a real push though for like the government to try to take away school choice, right? Like um, what do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, the direction that we're going is, is alarming. I mean, in this, and, and of course COVID has accelerated all this. And interestingly enough, it certainly uh, woke a lot of people up to that they could homeschool because they had to. And so you've got more people that want to. And, then, and now you've got some politicians talking about, you know, how that's what a disservice that is to children. And we need to further regulate or even ban homeschooling. I mean, I think you'd have a revolution if you tried to do that. Um, but the direction that we're going, as you've said many times, is, is away from individual liberty and more towards centrally planned economies and controlled by government. 
Now, I've also followed not only your work on cycles, but the fourth turning and whatnot. And if we truly are, you know, at the uh, in the at, at, in the fourth turning, then we will have an awakening and, and be moving back in the other direction soon. And I'm hopeful, for example, that Bit, that Bitcoin is a, a big part of that and accelerates that. But if if the government looks to ban or regulate homeschooling, I think uh, I think they'd have a tough time doing it in many parts of this country. Uh, and I, therefore, I don't think they would try, even though. Some of the folks are, are talking about it. I, I consider that hooting and hollering that's sort of reflective of the, the times that we live in today, but I don't see it as a real threat right now. Yeah, it's insane that these politicians think that they have the right over your kids, you know, more than you. Yeah, uh, I mean, exactly. I mean, in, in some, some states going as far as saying that, it, you know, a 12-year-old can make a decision to vaccinate or not vaccinate against the wishes of their parents uh, I mean, you're 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 going to destroy some families around that, and obviously, th- those are individual choices that families should make. But a 12 year old is not sovereign, and and and, and not just choice. that, but uh, you know, that could be uh, birth control. You know, could be abortion. It could be um, lots of things like that. Um, even now, choosing what gender they they decide they want to be. Um, and if you follow that logic, then like, okay, well then shouldn't drinking and smoking be legal at 12? I mean, if they can literally change their gender at 12, they know enough to change their whole life. They don't know enough to have a cigarette or have a drink of alcohol. Like, uh, right. Shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't we have both? It's <laughs> neither. It's so absurd. Yeah. I mean, like, and if you're legally responsible as an adult to care for and provide shelter and food and, and, uh, and medical care for your children, then you you absolutely have to have the authority to make those decisions. But the fact that government would even think that they can step in in situations like that, I mean, it's it's reflective of the times. It's downright uh, tragic, I would say. Yeah. I mean, it just really goes to show how much more, if you care, how much more you need to be involved in your, into your child's life. And I think, um, you know, a lot of things, when the government tells you not to do drugs, it doesn't make me want to go do drugs. Uh, but when they start trying to tell me I have no power over my kids, it makes me go, well, wait a minute, what are you trying to do here? Like I, I maybe I need more, more control or more, more input anyway. Um, well, that's great, man. I, uh, I love what you're doing. Um, you did send me some books. I checked them out. They were great. Like I said, I've been reading books to my kids. Um, unfortunately, uh, my youngest is she, she went through them. She liked them. She's still right there on the bubble. Um, uh, but man, I, uh, I just, I applaud what you're doing. Um, go after them young, you know, get their brains thinking, right. Set them on a right foundation and even just, um, you know, expand their thinking. So they learn how to think critically, I think, right. That, that's a lot of kind of what it is. Yeah. And, and, you know, and question the consensus, right. And you better get them young. Cause my, my oldest just turned 12 and boy, she doesn't listen to us anymore. And forget it when she's 15. So you gotta, you gotta get them while you can. <laughs> yeah. You gotta start young. And that's a good, good piece of advice for any young parents out there. I know my, my youngest is 12 and was uh, like last Halloween, we were sitting down and like, she's like arguing with me about a stance that she has that I am not happy with. Like her worldview is, is not, right in my opinion and uh she's like arguing it with me you know and it's just like um yeah you you need to get whatever you want to get in their head get in there when they're young because <laughs> as they get older they, don't, they ain't gonna listen to you and 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 then my oldest is in high school and uh yeah she ain't listened to anything whatever i wanted to tell her i better have told her a couple of years ago so a uh, little motivation to you young parents out there 
Yeah, um, I mean, if they're anything like I was as a teenager, I mean, I won't see them for days at a time, and they definitely won't listen to me. So, <laughs> yeah. So spend the time with your kids, reading to them. It's super powerful. Build that bond, increase their liter- their literacy, uh, but also expand their mind. Um, check out these books. Um, where are people going to find them? Yeah, so it's a terrible URL, thebaddaddy.com, but I started it a few years ago before I knew what it was going to be when it grew, grew up, and that's what my son always called me when I tried to discipline him. But we have a really <laughs> great uh, offer. It's an alliance offer. If you join the program, you get one book every three months. You save 40% on all of them, so they're 15 instead of $25. But if you don't like the first one, Keep it. Let us know. We'll refund your money. You don't, even have, you don't even have to send it back. It's that important that this story find your family. Nice. We're going to make sure that we link it in the show notes down below uh, so everybody can go check that out if they want to spend some good time with their kids and set them on the right track. Um, anything else that you want to say while we're, while we're still going? Uh, no, just that uh, I really appreciate all your work, uh, Mark, and for you having me on the show and for your audience. I mean, we, uh, I think we went through a similar pathway and I really appreciate uh, you getting the message out around sound money, around Bitcoin, around finance as well. Yeah. Great. All right. With that, we're going to go ahead and sign it off. Thanks so much for joining and uh, everyone check out the books. See ya. Great. Thank you guys. All right.